Lord, we've come to the end of a, a very different year for us. And yet, as the men have mentioned already, you have been right in the middle of this. In fact, it's been your plan. And we praise you, God, that you have plans that man just shakes his head at. We know that you're in control of all things, but we need to learn from this, Lord. We need to look back and see how you have maintained us and and strengthened us. And then we need to look forward, Lord, that we would progress in our faith, that we'd grow and know you more. And so we pray that this morning through this glorious passage that you would encourage us, Lord. Encourage our hearts, Lord. Thank you for this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21 is our text, and we find ourselves coming to the end of a year called 2020. Uh, it probably will be written down in the annuals of history, you know, as uh, the COVID year, or whatever they want to call it. Um, but it is a time to evaluate, isn't it? Sometimes, I think at the end of every year, we should evaluate where we've been. I try to do that personally and spiritually with myself. Have I grown more? Were there areas of weaknesses that got highlighted in some way that God was exposing. These are good times. And, and I, I think as 2020, you look at, it, it revealed a lot of things in the world, right? Politics, government, all kinds of things like that. But it also reveals maybe even some loss of hope in a, in a Christian's life. And I really want to preach a message this morning that will help you have hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's many things we haven't been able to do this year. We've been shut down from serving the Lord or doing different things we might want to do at different times. But I think the better question is, as we look at 2021, is how can we do better? Now, not better in a way that we're trying to gain our salvation or anything like that, acceptance from God. We are His children. We're in the Lord. We have a full inheritance from our Lord. But what can motivate me? What's going to motivate me to be a better Christian? <laughs> to love the Lord more and love those around me. Where is there room for growth in 2021? Well, I think this passage is a great motivation for that. And in the end, I want to look just briefly at some of the things that God did here in 2020 to remind you He has always been among us. And he's leading us and loving us. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, I just want to drop into the end of this text, but we should look at some context real quickly. You'll see through verses 1 through 5, we see that Paul is, of course, the, the human writer here, and, and Paul was in prison. He's writing this from prison. He's in prison in, in Rome. He uh, was thrown in prison from preaching to the, to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 21. Uh, and remember, he's under a house arrest. He's waiting for his trial with Caesar. And the Apostle Paul was well aware of his calling to Gentiles. He knew that God had sent him to the Gentiles. And he was preaching the nature of the union between um, both Jew and Gentiles, how God has brought them into one body. What an amazing thing. In the Old Testament... The salvation of the Gentiles was certainly told. It was clear. God said it's too small a thing for just the tribes of Israel to come to God. He had always more grand expectations of bringing all people to himself. Verses 6 through 7, you'll see in the text that these verses describe the mystery. The mystery itself that 
that believing Jews, think about this, believing Jews and believing Gentiles would all be one. They'd be joined together in one body, the body of Christ. And there'd no longer be separation. Remember the Jews thought they kind of owned God and they may or may not let you in. (laughs) That wasn't true. All of the fullness of God, all those who want to partake in God's promises, all the privileges that came from being a child of God were now open to the Gentile world. He preached a gospel that, that caused all mankind, all walks of life, to stand equally before Christ. Didn't matter who you were, Jew, Gentile, black, white, slave, free, doesn't matter. All are free, all stand equally before Christ. And of course, this landed him in prison. Paul said he was a servant in these verses. He was a servant, one who preached the gospel. He'd been given a gift, and he, re- and he believed with all his heart that his calling was to give this gift out to others. And he did it in places like Ephesus and Rome and different places that actually cost him his freedom. Verses 8 and 9, we see that apostles still amazed at grace. I love these verses. He's still amazed after possibly somewhere to 15 to 16 years of ministry, Paul is still amazed at grace. The gospel had kept Paul extremely humble. And I think that's what happens. If we get the gospel right, you're a humble person. If you get it wrong, you're proud. The gospel kept Paul humble. He loved the saints. And he... And he he, he just kept growing in humility the older he got. Paul marveled that God would let him preach this gospel. He, he marveled that God would let him be the voice for him and speak this truth to all nations and these unsearchable riches of Christ. And he would be granted the opportunity to unveil things that were hidden in the past. He loved that. He loved the fact that he could say something that in the Old Testament wasn't as clear, but now from Christ and in the the resurrection of Christ, he was given this opportunity to unveil this ministry. You see that so clear in verses 8 and 9. He calls it the administration or the fellowship of the ministry. These truths is what bring all people together. You and I are together. We are one. We are bond together in the body of Christ because of the gospel. And Paul loved to preach that. Verses 10 through 12, we see Paul continuing to be overwhelmed by the manifold wisdom of God, not only to proclaim it to the church, to all those who would hear it, but even to heavenly places. Notice that in those verses. That even the angelic world would watch carefully what he was doing. This was how powerful a message he preached. And this grace would bring such unity to the Jews and Gentiles that we would collectively be identified together with the same boldness and confidence to come before God. The Gentile can come before God just like the Jew would. And Paul thought this was a great honor and a great privilege. But then we come to verse 13, and I want you to pick up from here. It says, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulation on your behalf, for they are your glory. When we come to verse 13, the Christians of Ephesus and the surrounding area, probably Christians coming into this church, were in danger of losing heart. It's been a tough year. 
the Apostle Paul had been arrested and put in prison. Everybody knew it. Persecution was starting to move through the church. Peter would write to the scattered churches. It was a tough year. And Paul's concerned that they would lose heart. And, and, and he didn't want them to lose heart even over his suffering, but he did not want them to lose trust in God. He wanted them to run a race. He wanted them to fight a good fight and not drop out. Some of the terminology here we get from athletic events. I don't know if you've ever seen an athlete who has run to the point where they just can't run any longer or fight any longer and they just drop in exhaustion. This is the word, this is the terminology that Paul is using here. He wants you to keep going. He does not want you to drop out in any way. Well, today I want to show you from this text the truth and instruction that will strengthen us for this coming year and will cause you to thank God even for the past year of what he's done. Even though difficult times are probably not done, let me give you six ways to prepare yourself for 2021. Number one, we get to converse with a perfect father. We converse, we speak, we pray with a perfect father. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, we find one of the greatest statements in regards to God's sovereign grace, isn't it? Ephesians 1, those of us that love the doctrines of grace, we love that chapter. But Paul is not trying to defend the doctrines of grace in that chapter as we do probably too often. Paul is using the doctrines of grace to motivate the believer to walk with Christ. That's what the doctrines of grace are about. They're not to beat people up with. They're not to fight over. They're to be motivating to us. God knew us from the foundations of the world. He predetermined our future. That's a great God, isn't it? That's motivating, isn't it? That means he knew 2020, didn't he? And so we trust him. But turn there just a page over or two and look at verse 18 with me after he works his way down through 14 or 15 of the most beautiful verses. Notice what he's doing. He turns to prayer. Um, a lot of people call Ephesians a prayer letter because he, he prays and then he preaches and then he prays and then he preaches. And we're going to get into one of his prayers here just in a minute in Ephesians 3. But notice what he says. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? Because there's a temptation to close them at times, spiritually speaking. Close your eyes to what God's doing. Close your eyes to what God desires for you to do. He knows that is temptation so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. See, loss of hope. Have you lost hope this year? Is your hope waning in some way? Paul says, look, I, I, I pray that your eyes will be open so you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The wealth that God has for us. He wants you to know that. See, as Christians, we can lose our motivation. We need reminders. It's one of the things preaching is for. Preaching isn't only for that, but that's one of the things preaching is for. And I think part of the temptation is we come and we listen to good sermons, we evaluate whether, whether, evaluate whether it was a good sermon or not, and then we just go home and do whatever we do. That's the problem. You'll lose hope. If you are coming here based on the fact that whether I'm going to hit one out of the park or not, you're in trouble. I'm not that good. The word of God is what we put our hope in. 
Truth is what we put our hope in. Truth gets our motivation going, doesn't it? And so we're not just sermon listeners. We're not just word hearers. We're word what? Doers. That's what the word of God teaches us to do. That's what the Bible's doing here. Truth is driving our lives. And it drives your life if you're truly saved. If you're not, it just rolls off you and pretty soon sin just takes a hold of you and it says, okay, well, now you're going to go do this. Well, okay. See, I have no control over me. See, the truly saved, the word of God grabs them, right? But we do not need to, to fall into sin, but we do need continual motivation, don't we? Look at the rest of these verses in this first section here, verse 19. He goes on to say, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Ooh, where, there's a qualifier. His power towards those who believe. His judgment's reserved for those who don't believe, but his power, the power of God, the one who spoke all things into creation, is for the believer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Let there be light. That's the kind of power that stands with you, brothers and sisters. It's amazing, isn't it? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. How did you, know you understand the power of, of God? When you saw Christ. God was a figure, distant. Maybe he's there, maybe he isn't. But when you came to know Christ, you understood God, didn't you? He's the pathway to understand God. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, see, the, the Son now has all authority of the Father. Notice that he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. There's nothing that can touch him. I love the great song by Luther there that Hayward led us in. You know, Satan doesn't have power over us. One, remember Luther said, one word will undo him. Yeah, you can find it in Revelations 20. To the pit. That's our God, right? He has control over all these things. Far above all authority, power, and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he puts all things in subjection under his feet. COVID. Doctors. Fauci, <laughs> sorry, and gave him as head over all things of the church. He's head of the church. And what's he said? Church, gather, be together, love one another. This is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We'll turn back to chapter three and let's look at some of these things that he's reminding us for this coming Notice he says in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Well, well prayer is this marvelous way of leading us to truth, isn't it? Prayer gives understanding, and understanding grips you, doesn't it? It even grips your emotions. Are you an emotionless believer? You probably don't pray enough. Prayer connects you with the emotions, right emotions with God. Prayer makes you come into the presence of God humble. Notice he bows the knees. There's a position there before him. This is a prayer for power, the power that God has, power that keeps us going and helps you recover from, from a heart that's losing hope. See, true biblical prayer carries an amazing gift of healing and recovery. Some don't recover. They just struggle on and on in life because they don't pray. They don't fall before a holy God and plead for his help and 
they don't recover. And they go from one problem to the next problem to the next problem, and they just struggle on and on. See, prayer helps us recover. And when our hearts grow cold and even spiritually lethargic, it's often a sign of a failing prayer life. We begin to fear what's going on in there. CNN has way more power than than the Bible. See, we're not praying. God never designed us to rule our own hearts and lives. Did you know that? He designed us to be ruled by Christ. Notice in verse 14, Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees. It was not customary for Jews to bow the knee. Most Jews stood and stretched out their hands and looked into the heavens. But in tense times, we see great prayer. Moses on his knees, Daniel on his knees, Stephen as they're stoning him on his knees. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign we need to go deeper with God at times. It's a sign of intensity as we prostrate ourselves before a holy God at times. See, this is a position the apostle is speaking of. We lose heart and we lose our way because we don't bend our knee to God. You've heard me say that many times, and I I say that for myself. There are areas in my life I won't bend my knee to him on. I will try to do myself. Prayer says, God, I can't do this without you. I need you. See, this is a position of humility. It's a heart and mindset that looks to God for the answer, not to yourself. And of course, don't get lost in the position of on your knees or standing or maybe driving your car. Don't get lost in that position. Our God hears the prayers of his children. Notice that it's a condition of someone humbled before God. Someone who God has revealed the mysteries of grace to, that's who prays. Did you catch that? The one who prays is the one who has had the mystery of grace revealed to him or to her. If you don't know grace, you don't pray. Isn't that true? Grace motivates you to pray. Notice it's before the Father. I think this is fascinating. Paul is directing his prayers to the Father. And think about it. He's presented as the planner, right? Of the Godhead, he's the planner. He's the one that laid down all these things from the foundations of the world. And, and prayer is usually directed to the Father in the Scriptures. It's, it's of course, through the Son. He's our, he is our intercessor, one who intercedes for us. But it's empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. So the whole Godhead is involved with prayer. But notice, God is our Father. It is before the Father. And think about this. He's the personification of fatherhood. Every father in heaven and on earth, which derives the name of father, draws its characteristics, draws fatherly characteristics from God. We pervert them and destroy them, but that's where it comes from. He's an exemplary father, isn't he? As I studied this this week, I was humbled at my failures as a father at times. See, when you stare into the eyes of the almighty father, the perfect father, the characterization of perfection, (laughs) you bow your knee, don't you? Dads, we know that, don't we? We know we've not been perfect. But see, there's where hope comes. We can come to this perfect father figure. One who hears us. Look at verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is 
This is the characteristic of it. All comes from him. This is not some sense of a biological father. Anybody could be a biological father. There's many men who father children or anything but a father, right? This is far more than that. This is a sense of fatherhood that gives understanding of his concern for you, his provision for you, a loving guidance and faithful training of us, right? It's, it's a father who loves us, who, who even occasionally disciplines us, and, he's, and he has a growing communion with us. We're knowing him more and more. He's drawing us and wooing us in closer day after day. That's true fatherhood. See, I think the apostle's reminding us that if you're in despair, if you've lost hope, or you're struggling in your spiritual life, or you're feeling cold or lethargic, don't lose hope. You have a father who is listening. He's listening. He tunes his ear to you. That's a perfect father. That's God our father. And if you're in Christ this morning, you can approach him day or night, good times or bad times, you can receive resources from our Father because our Father is rich. He's rich in glory. And He loves to give the riches of His knowledge to His children. Second thought, we find wealth and strength in God. We find wealth and strength in God. And certainly this is not the prosperity gospel in any way. You know that's a, that's a ruse, it's a false teaching. But God's glory is his own being. God's person, right? He himself is his own rich glory. I promise you, when you look into the eyes of our Father through the word of God, if you intently look, you long for nothing else. You really believe in him. The day when you stand in his presence by death or by rapture, when you go into his presence, he will fulfill everything you ever desired and more <laughs> he's rich when God displays his glory he simply shows you himself see that's what happened when you got saved you saw God through Christ you saw his glory you realize I, I don't have that I need that <laughs> I, I'm a dead man without that and so here Paul is stressing this truth to, to help us in our cold, lethargic spiritual conditions coming out of 2020 and all of our whining and complaining. He says, look, you have a father who knows all of this, who planned all this. You have a loving father. I think he's, I mean, probably thinking of the Christians in Ephesus and around who, who are inundated with Paganism, right? Dead, cold, stone gods that people pray to, can't hear, can't speak, can't do anything, and yet they'll cut themselves, they'll prostitute themselves, they'll do all kinds of things to these gods of stone. And he's saying, you have a father in heaven who hears you. What an amazing thing. You have a father who's tender, he's concerned, he's loving, he's deeply involved with you, he desires your spiritual growth, He's concerned about your welfare and he won't leave you in a spiritual state of depression. He won't. He's a great father. Notice Paul wants us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Well, I don't think this is just the indwelling of the spirit. I don't think that's 
what the context is here. And certainly we are and dwelt with the Spirit at salvation. But he's using some different terms here. It's more the idea that the Spirit strengthens your inner person. And there's a difference between the outer person and the inner person. We often do a great job with the outer person, right? We'll feed it, dress it, comb it, paint it. We'll exercise it, we'll wash it, we'll dry it. We'll do all kinds of things to the outer man. We easily find ourselves concerned with the outer person. In fact, overly concerned. You're going to hear a plethora of commercials about get to the gym. Now, you may need to get to the gym because you're not doing a good job with the outer guy. But we don't, we don't worship God there like we worship God in the inner man. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul said that this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Here he is again, reminding believers not to lose heart. Paul does this often. But though the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. I like that. Yep. This dude is getting older on the outside. I have grandchildren. The gray's not going away. My knees aren't getting better. But something's happening inside. Decay happens. We expect it. But something about us, something's getting better. Think about that. Something's getting better in you. It's getting refreshed. It's getting strengthened. Something that is getting richer and deeper and stronger every day when we walk with the Lord. And that is the inner person. That's the spirit of you. That's who God made you. Though even our minds, I think about, I thought about this. I said, well, this can't be about the mind. Because the mind grows feeble, right? Your emotions grow unstable as you get older. Maybe as we get older, we cry a little more and, and we, things just change in us a little bit as we get older. So I don't think that's what he's talking about. And we know the outer man, his mind can go south and yet he can still be saved, right? I, I read it. one old preacher, he said, he was speaking on this text, he said he took an older man out to lunch and when the, when the bill came, he, he put down money and he paid for the bill and the waitress took it away and brought back the change and the older man took the change and put it in his pocket. He said, right there I realized... <laughs> I was having lunch with a man who was senile. You know, he just reminds me, that's where I'm going to be someday. Uh, Someone else is going to pay for my lunch and I'm going to take the tip. (laughs) But that doesn't mean God is not at work in the inner man. This is what he does. The inner person, the inner person is where we are, who God made us, the spirit that God transforms The soul that is radically transformed, this is where God is at work. And notice in verse 16, look at this. That that is where the empowering strength of the Spirit is at work. And look, we should ask God to grant our spirit a renewed desire to be strengthened by His Spirit. Ask our spirit to be strengthened by His Spirit. Are you weak today? Are you worried about the future? Oh, ask God to strengthen your inner man, your inner person. Drink again from the river of the spirit of life. I'm not talking about getting saved again. You'd have to lose your salvation. That's unbiblical. Can't lose what God did. But we are talking about that there are times we lose our fervor. We lose our desire for God at times. And you need to drink at the well again. You need to say, Spirit of God, refresh my soul. Refresh my inner person. Turn to the word. Ask the spirit to do his work in you. See, if not, fear and anxiety will beat you. You need help. I need help. 
The Spirit of God's greater than those things. The result is the inner person experiences the wealth, the wealth and strength of God. Third thought. We are indwelt by Christ and unmovable in his work. Look at verse 17 with me. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. Stop right there. Notice the so that in this text. I think both NAS and ESV translate the hinta there. Hinta is a little Greek word. We often translate it so that or in order that or that that way. It means there's a resulting clause, right? There's a resulting clause of, of the Spirit strengthening this inner man. The resulting clause is that God's Spirit will strengthen your spirit. And he'll listen to this. He'll make your home his heart. Ooh, that's serious stuff, isn't it? I find that great fascinating. And I think, well, there you go, 2020. Take that. God is making my heart his home. What are you going to do to me? He's going to reside in me. He's going to take up all of those fears and anxieties. He's going to push all that out and reside in me. And as the Spirit of God strengthens your inner man, the presence of the Lord Jesus strengthens your faith to take hold of the promises that you believe in. You know, what I'm doing here today is reminding you truths you probably already know, many of you. But you need to hear it, don't you? You lose hope at times. And maybe this, think about this. You go, well, I'm not losing hope. I'm just losing sight of what I should be doing. That's loss of hope. <laughs> Maybe you're so busy in trying to make money, trying to pay the bills, trying to stay ahead, trying to get kids to college or whatever it may be in your life, right? We all have different time, different seasons. Whatever it is, if, if you are not strengthened, putting yourself under the word of God, really allowing the spirit of God to strengthen your inner man, those things will consume you. Your marriage won't be as sweet. Your relationship with your children won't be as sweet. You'll be a bad neighbor and not a good co-worker. See, that's what Christ wants to do. See, no one, no one wants this. And I think none of us probably here would say, oh, wait a minute. I've got this figured out. We all, there's room to grow here, isn't there? And so God's spirit is awakening our spirit with a fresh faith in a way. Not a, not a new faith. Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking, I want to be very clear here. He afreshens our faith. Is that okay to say that? You know what I'm talking about? Where that day or maybe a service or whatever it is where the Lord just kind of awakens you. He stirs you. Come on, Scott. My son died for you. Let's live for me. Did that happen to you? I hope it happens to you. Because it happens to me. I love John chapter 14. Jesus has been telling him, look, um, I'm going to reside with you and I'm not going to reside with the world. He's telling him he's going away, Right? And they're wrestling with it. They're trying to figure it out. And then Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas disciple, answers and says, Lord, what then, this is John 14, 22 and 23, what then is happening that you are going to disclose to yourself to us and not to the world? What, what do you mean by this? How are, you, how are you going to disclose yourself to us but not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, listen to this, he will keep my word. That's the result of loving Lord, you keep his word. It doesn't, well, I love God, but I just live any way I want. <laughs> I changed my view of marriage and everything else. No, no. The, he says, Jesus' words right here. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. <laughs> Isn't that great? And we, look at plural, we will come to him and make our abode with him. 
wow. This is what Paul's referring to. There's a reawakening of faith. He's reminding us that the Trinity comes and lives within us. Look, if that doesn't give you a old shot in the arm after 2020, I don't know what to do for you people. The almighty Godhead has taken up resonance in you. He's getting his mail there. This is where he's at. This is where we were so strengthened by this. Look at the end of verse 17. In that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, now look at the emotions and the feelings that start flowing back into the inner person. Maybe you've been emotionless and, and you've not had feelings for Christ and, and for people around you even. But now... As the Spirit takes up resonance, as He makes Godhead makes His home in you, you start to be rooted and grounded in love. And, and, and you return to your Father in humble prayer, and you rediscover His strengthening power through His Spirit. And the home of your heart has been now swept out, and you're again ready for Christ to rule on the throne of your heart. In other words, look, brothers and sisters, you're experiencing afresh the love of God. And your true identity returns. You're a child of God. He's your father. Christ is your savior. And you find stability again. And the fruit of the spirit begins to blossom within you. And, and you can smell fresh spiritual fruit. There's the smell of love. And there's smell of joy. And there's the smell of peace. And you know something's happening. Notice these words. I love these metaphorical verbs here. There's some people struggle, struggle with a metaphorical terminology that the word of God uses and they misinterpret them but I love the metaphorical verbs of God he says being rooted and grounded in love well plants are rooted and buildings are grounded think about that so what Paul is doing he ties them together in this beautiful picture of security we're like a tree deeply rooted with with our roots down in the deep living waters of the word and we're like a building that's secure and unmovable because Christ has taken up resonance in our hearts. You can't find nothing more stable than that. And Paul's simply saying here that we, can't, we can once again experience a solid foundation. Experience. Not, I want you to understand, not that it left us, but we, we lose the joy of our salvation, don't we? David says, return to me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say return my salvation. He said, return the joy of my salvation. Sin robs that from you. Complacency robs that from you. Spiritual lethargy robs that from you, brothers and sisters. In 2020, didn't help. This world, they'll never know this. This world never will know the love of God like we do. In fact, what they're going to know is the right-hand judgment of Christ someday. And we don't want them to go through that. We want them to know Christ, but we find encouragement in that. All they have is deeper depression, suicide rate hitting all-time highs. Their fear of the, the death of COVID, it's nothing compared to the suicide rate right now. Alcohol and drug abuse is just skyrocketing. Divorce rates are going through the, the roof right now. And we're worried about cases. <laughs> oh my goodness, their, their world is just coming apart See, they're, they're find, trying to find temporary happiness in all kinds of things, and they can only get it for a moment. But not the believer. Mm -hmm. Not the believer. We're rooted and grounded in the love of God. And so when the winds of 2020 blow hard, 
We may move and sway just a little bit, uh, but we don't get uprooted because we're grounded in Christ. We're indwelled by Christ. We're unmovable by his work in our lives. Forethought. We're never alone in Christ. We're never alone in Christ. Look at verse 18 with me. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and the height and the depth. Now, first and foremost, a believer always has Christ with them. I want to remind you of that. But these verses remind us of our identity with the body of Christ. I think this is fascinating. Notice the little phrase, comprehend this, that the ability that to comprehend the work of God with all the saints. Now, there's a blessing and a uniqueness to the body of Christ that Paul wants us to understand here. The world's never going to know it. How many Christians take for granted the body of Christ, the church? Well, it's cold outside. We'll catch you next week. A lot of Christians find larger churches. This is why we fight very hard here. We say this, we're, uh, how do I say it? We're a small church with a lot of people. My staff hears me say that all the time. Because we don't want people to feel comfortable where they can come and just slip in here and not have an engagement with anybody, not be involved, not have accountability, not be discipled in some way. See, this is such an important verse. Look at this again with me that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. This is a, a group of people. This is a blessing of the uniqueness of the body of Christ who relate to each other, to reach out to each other. And when we do this, we, we begin to lay hold of the breadth and length and the height and depth of the love of God. A lot of people don't experience the love of God because they won't experience a church. And you go, well, you know, we've got problems. Amen, we've got problems. This is not a perfect church. But for whatever reason, God says, you want to experience my height, depth, length, strength, all of that? Get in the church. The true church. Isn't that fascinating? Too many Christians don't have a right perspective of God because they don't have a right perspective of the church. Or they live in isolation. Man, isolation will kill you. And we, God wants us to relate to one another with all the saints Stop trying to live your life alone. It's dangerous, friend. It'll, it'll rob you of the hope of the glory of God. And yeah, you're going to have to put up with my sin from time to time. I'm going to fail you. I'm a one, I'm person needing of Christ's death. And so I am not perfect, but I have a perfect one who will unite my heart with your heart. And God gives that to us. The world talks about privacy all the time. They're Longing for privacy, don't hack my Apple account, you know. They struggle to understand what true identity is, don't they? And the result is this loneliness and bitterness. And for the Christian, it actually, I've seen too many Christians' view of God and the church change unbiblically because they don't engage with the church. They just keep sliding a little farther and a little farther and a little farther away from the church. God's design is for you not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He wants you together. We are his hands, his feet, his legs, his arms, his mouth, his toes, his fingers. I don't know what you are. But the Bible says, if you're not here, we're handicapped. Right? And so there's this great push here. Don't don't miss that. I, I think this jumped out at me as much as anything in my study this week. That little phrase, with all the saints. That little prepositional phrase. 
with all the saints. You won't see his glory. And so the Bible preaches heavy against isolation. And we need to relate with one another. We need to share our lives with one another. We need to be open with one another. See, that's what's called discipleship. Learning to grow and weep with one another. Will you weep with me when I have sorrows? I want you to. I want to share those two. I don't want to be a pastor that just is emotionally with you. I want you to know where I'm very happy. I'm going to be very happy next service as I hold my grandson. I want you to know that. And I want to be happy with you and your grandchildren and, and your children and what you're going through. And when you sorrow, when you suffer, when, when the doctor says you have cancer, I want to know because I want to pray with you and I want to weep with you so you'll know the glories of Christ. And that's, that's the role of the church. This is the empowering work of the Spirit here that changes the inner person to not want to be isolated, but to join together. Paul says over and over, 2 Corinthians 6.16, 6, 16, he says, open wide your hearts to us. Now think of what church he's telling that to. Corinth, the most wealthy church in the New Testament, had closed their hearts to Paul. He says, open your hearts to us. You're relying on all these other things. James says, confess your sins to one another. When's the last time you openly confessed a sin to somebody and said, I need to be accountable to you. I need to share where I'm struggling so you'll pray with me and help me. So that's what discipleship's about. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 commands us, it's an imperative, says, bear one another's burdens. How do we bear your burdens if you don't come? We've got to bear your burdens. And those that, that are home and can't or homebound, we've got to have communication with them. Some of our elders are just directly involved with our homebounds, just constantly trying to check on them so they have somebody that they can relate with and worship with and care for them so we can pray. See, this goes against our outer person. The outer person seeks to hide. It seeks not to reveal. And Once we begin to relate and share with one another, even in our sufferings or their sufferings, we begin to lay hold of the height and length, and depth, and the glory of God in a unique way. Now, this is why going to church is more than just being a good sermon listener. It's about discipleship, isn't it? It's about expanding the core of our church, which is those who are unashamed of the gospel, personally and corporately. That's what we're after. When you don't want to talk to the elders what we're up to, we want to grow our core so that they're unashamed of the gospel. They've been discipled, so when new people come, they will reach out to them, they will care for them, and they will seek to disciple the next people that come to our church. You want to, do you want to know the goals of the elders? That's the goals of the elders. Everything else is driven off of that. That's our goal. That's what God tells us. He brings them in. We disciple. That's, that's what he tells us, right? Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell itself won't stand against us. Our job, make disciples. Now go make disciples. And that's really what this is about. I love some of these terms here. Just, I can't spend too much time here, but just listen with me. Length. Let's think about length. Well, think about how God has known you from eternity past to eternity future. See, when you get discipled, you start to know, oh, I wasn't some uh, soteriological trip into the faith. You know, like, ooh, I got saved that day. <laughs> No, God knew you from the foundations of the world. <laughs> you start to know the length of his love, right? You start to realize that Christ on the cross knew you. His hand, his na our names are written in his hands, right? And we sing those songs. Think about the breath. Oh, I love the breath of this. All saints, 
Not just Jews. Not just Ormond Beach. But Morocco and, and Egypt and India and, and Philippines. And he's gathering people from every walk of life. Rich, poor, white, black, po- uh, slave, free, male, female, children, elderly. He's gathering all people. That's the breath of his salvation. So that's to know the love of God. What about the height? Oh my goodness, think about our position in Christ. We are risen together and seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. Far above all principalities and all powers and authorities, our position in Christ is greater than the angels. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Think about that. I mean, you study Michael and and, and Gabriel and some of the archangels and some of the things they do. Wow. The Bible says your position is greater. Think about the height of that. How about the depth? We understand the depth of where God has brought us from. God's love is so deep, he reaches into the belly of hell itself and pulls us out. (laughs) And and makes us his children for eternity. This is tremendous depth. He takes creatures who care not for him and makes us loving servants of him. That's depth, isn't it? We marvel at this, don't we? And this is what drives body life, not programs. Knowing our God, knowing our Savior. That's why you, the core of Riverbend Church, must know the gospel, embrace this. Ask God to strengthen your inner person daily so you can be a tool that he'll use for the next person or that neighbor who needs Christ or whatever it is. This is true body life. Are you committed to Christ and to each other? Will you forgive one another when somebody sins against you? Jesus said, if you don't forgive, my Father in heaven won't forgive you. Do you forgive people? Do you seek unity? Do you want to be right with all men as far as possible as, as concerned with you? Five, I've got to hurry. We can know uh, our unknowable God. We can know our unknowable God. Look at verse 19 with me. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Well, the world looks at this and says, that's a contradictory statement. How do we know an unknowable God? Because Romans, look, it says, oh, the depth and riches of the wisdom of, of the knowledge of God. This is Romans eleven thirty three and 34. How unsearchable or unfathomable are his judgments and his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord, who has given him counsel, and yet the Bible tells us that the Christian experience can reach higher and higher, can know God. We can become vessels full of great truth, We can love Christ in greater ways, in in different circumstances, in a world around us, in our relationships. Even when we suffer in everyday life, we can know God deeper and deeper. We can grasp these fathoms. See, our faith becomes strong and vital. This is what God meant when he says, look, I've prepared good works in advance for you to do. When you love him, you get to serve him this way. Will you strive with the Spirit's help? Let me ask you a question. Will you strive with the Spirit's help to grow in Christ in 2021? Are you ready to do that? Or do you want to go around the loop again? You ready to get off the merry-go-round? Are you ready to run? Last thought. And this will lead us into communion. We received unexpected blessings from God. This is the sermon title I started out with. But I just found this so fascinating. I don't have time to develop this totally. I'll come back to this, I promise, in time. Now to him who is 
able to do far more abundantly, verse 20, beyond all that we ask and think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a reality. God does unexpected things when we walk with him. Do you think Moses ever expected that he'd come along a burning bush and God was in the bush? <laughs> that was pretty unexpected. I mean, just go down through it. Ruth of Moab, living in a, in a nation of, built on incest, becomes in the line of Christ. <laughs> That's unexpected. This is what he does, right? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I'm the chief of sinners and I stand amazed. He actually uses words that we get this idea. He believes himself to be a trophy of the grace of God. He can't even believe it. That God would save him, the chief of sinners. See, that's what he does. What are you going to, what do you want God to do in 2000, 2021 with your life? What do you want God to do with your life in 2021.